We are starting a new series this fall. We're moving from the decolonized church to the gospel of Mark, the way of Jesus. I almost put my Mandalorian, this is the way, um, but I've already used that. So, um, But the gospel of Mark, and today we're going to start with Mark 1, um, as Denise read. But let me start us off with some prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask you to soften our hearts. We ask you to make sharp our minds. Uh, we ask you to make us a little more vulnerable to what you have for us. Um, you desire to make straight our paths and to change uh, the things that are uh, hurtful to us and hurtful to others. And so... We want to make you Lord of our life, Jesus. And so may your word um, be more than just a font on a page, but also um, a transformative um, experience, a seed that's planted that continues to bear fruit over and over again. In your name, amen. So we are, uh, Denise read from Mark 1, uh, verse 9 through 15, uh, but I wanted to get us started um, with some context and background, uh, starting with Mark, also known as John Mark, uh, whose name is on this gospel, the gospel according to Mark. Um, and John Mark, if you don't know him, um, he was a teenager, a young boy, a young man, during Jesus' ministry. So he wasn't an apostle. And uh, his name, John, Yohanan, uh, is Hebrew. And his second name, Mark, which we know the Gospel of Mark by, is Latin. Marcus is Latin. So Hebrew and Latin name, Yohanan Marcus, and, uh, which may say some things. It may say that He's uh, part of a family of repute. Later on in Acts, we learn that his mother Mary, um, the church meets in her home, so they're a family of means, probably a larger, a larger home um, to contain all the people. And, uh, <clears throat> and because of the Roman, the Latin name, um, some kind of pull or sway connection um, with um, the Roman culture. Um, but as I said, he was a teenager during Jesus' ministry, and not one of the apostles or the original disciples. And um, another thing, interesting note, if you remember later on in Mark, uh, Mark 14, uh, uh, 50 through 52, I'll just read it, when Jesus was and his disciples were in Gethsemane praying before Jesus was arrested, he's that young man, that mysterious young man, right? So if you uh, uh, skip ahead to Mark 14, uh, 50 to 52, Two, Jesus has just gotten arrested. He's betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the scripture says, Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. So that's just like uh, most people think, this is probably the writer, right, John Mark, who's fleeing here, 
He's been following Jesus and the disciples from a distance, and when Jesus is arrested, he flees along with all the other disciples. He flees, and um, so much, so he's so intent on running away that he forgets his clothing, right? When someone grabs it, it's like, he doesn't go back for it. Um, but as I was reflecting on this, another image stood up to me, stood out to me, and that's of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? When they're naked and they're, they become ashamed after they've eaten from the fruit, right? And they flee and hide because of their vulnerability and their nakedness and they're ashamed, which they hadn't felt before. And the disciples, as they're fleeing, especially John Mark here, is naked and fleeing, right? Away from communion with Jesus, away from where Jesus is at. Also, John Mark, Mark, uh, and Peter, 1 Peter 5.13, Peter refers to Mark as my son, um, suggesting that they had a very close relationship Um, the disciple Peter, the apostle Peter. Most likely, Mark was an immediate disciple of Peter. So Peter was raising up this young man, John Mark. Um, In Colossians 4.10, Peter mentions Mark as being with him as he is in prison. John Mark joins Peter in Rome. Peter's in prison at Rome. And this is where Mark is written. So most people actually think that Peter, because he was a disciple, immediate disciple of Christ and witnessed all of Christ's actions and miracles and his life, that Peter is actually dictating or at least telling these stories of Jesus to John Mark, and John Mark is writing these things down and recording them, and maybe adding some of his, his stuff. But Peter is writing it, and John Mark is, um, Peter's dictating, John Mark is putting it down, pen to paper. Um, uh, But nonetheless, Peter and Mark have a tight relationship. And then, um, if you remember in Acts, around Acts 15, uh, there's a dispute between Paul and Barnabas, right? Paul and Barnabas were on the first, Paul's first missionary journey, and they're rolling and they're rolling, and they're doing good, doing ministry, spreading the gospel, and a dispute rises between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin, and Barnabas wants to bring John Mark along with them on their second journey. But Peter or Paul is like, no, he abandoned us in Pamphylia. He abandoned us, so he's a flake. I don't want him to come. And the disagreement became so sharp that they split ways. Right, Paul takes Silas, and they go on a journey, and then Barnabas says, whatever, I'm taking John Mark. I believe in him. He's a young man. He's a flake, but there's something I see in him. So they go on to Cyprus. But we know that eventually, Paul and uh, John Mark reconcile later. Um, a reference to that is in 2 Timothy 4.11, Bring Peter, or Paul says, bring John Mark. He's talking to Timothy. Bring John Mark with you because he is useful to me in ministry. So he goes from not being useful to being very useful. Um, and this is, this is an example to me that it stands out to me that no matter our past mistakes 
or failings, right? Or wherever we found ourselves in our winding journey in our faith, we can still be used by God in ministry. Amen? Right? John Mark was denied, was rejected by Paul. The great Paul rejected because whatever, he flaked out on Paul. But now his name is on the gospel, one of the four gospels. So as a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. So there's something happening in this person's life. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we just see snapshots of someone's life, the mistakes they made in the moment, and we judge them or we characterize them by those mistakes or by what they did or what their lifestyle was. And we forget that things are in motion, right? God continues to be at work in their lives. God's at work in our lives, right? Heaven forbid that if I make a mistake, I'm off the track, right? I'm off the team. I'm on the bench. I'll never be back again. God is a God of second chances, amen? God is a God who um, sees people where they're at and wants more from us and has grace upon grace, right? Truckloads of grace, piles and silos of grace for us. Um, this also shows me that relationships and people um, in the Bible in the New Testament, people with authority that we hold in high regard with biblical authority, right, are more complicated um, than simply saint or sinner, good or bad, right or wrong. Paul did not want to have anything to do with John Mark. Barnabas, the ever encourager, believed in Mark. Ultimately, Paul finds John Mark useful in his ministry, right? There's a redemption there. So between this big brawl between, I don't think they were fighting, but they split ways, right? Between Paul and Barnabas, who was right, right? God was right, but Barnabas, had, <laughs> Barnabas was right. Um, and the gospel that we now read together here today is named for Mark who has written, uh, who's witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. And that means that no matter, again, no matter where we've been or what mistakes we've made, we are all potential witnesses to good news of Jesus Christ, right? If Christ has Christ changed your life, you can say amen. Yes. Has Christ changed your life? Have you ever experienced amazing grace in your life? Yes. Have you been part of a comeback win and second chances in your life? Yes. Have you been disregarded, benched, or deemed not qualified to serve in your life? Maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> People are like, no, I've been good, pretty good, <laughs> actually. Um, uh, we have a model in the actions and ministry of Jesus. Mark portrays Jesus as the suffering servant many, many times. There's this motif of suffering servant. Jesus is the son of is God, but also Jesus is human. And Mark 
the Gospel of Mark repeatedly, repeatedly underlines the failure of the disciples to understand Jesus' mission. Like, I must suffer, die, rise. No, what, what? You can't die. You can't do that. I've come to do this. No, no, no. Like, let's go big. Let's go strong. Let's, you know, let's throw, let's have a rebellion. But Jesus is continually articulates his mission and the disciples, there's this motif of the disciples not getting it, not completely quite getting why Jesus was here. And I think one of the reasons for this is that suffering servant idea because in their culture, right, and quite possibly in cultures universally, right, in all times in history, um, upward mobility is what's valued right? Title is valued. Rising up is valued. Strength is valued. Power is valued, especially in our leaders, right? Remember uh, when the people of Israel and Samuel wanted a king. They wanted, they were admired and enthralled with King Saul or Saul at the time. He was a head taller than everyone. He looks kingly, right? He is a king because he's tall and great and he, he holds himself with authority and power um, and presence. And yet, if you remember when Samuel anoints David, right, he doesn't expect David to be the one because David's the youngest. David is scrawny and cute and ruddy, right? I don't know what ruddy completely means, but, but David, it says, God does not look at the outside of people God looks on the inside of people. And so, um, oftentimes, when we think of ruler, when we think of movement, when we think of strength, we want to go where culture goes. We want to idolize that superstar, right? We want to um, be where the strength is. We want to go up and to the right. When Jesus... His mission, the things that he was talking about, the, the path that he was following was a more narrow path. It was down and to the right, right? It was downward mobility and letting go of what he could have done, what he could have been, what he had the ability and the power to do. And yet, Jesus knew that there was a different way. Are you with me, church? This is backwards, right? This is backwards because upward mobility and elitism is normative um, in the determination of authority. But Mark is refocusing uh, power and authority, who Jesus is, uh, refocusing in light of Jesus as the suffering servant, the humble king both son of God and human. Jesus is authoritative. Jesus is powerful and effectual. Jesus has power over the elements of nature. And yet, at the same time, Jesus is vulnerable. Jesus is accessible to the poor to those who need healing. Um, and Jesus expresses emotion, right? Sometimes even crying and weeping 
for his friends who are hurting. This is a different vision. This is a different picture of a great king, right? That the world may have um, an image of. Um, Mark, the Gospel of Mark is also probably the first one that was written, right? And it is the briefest one, which probably adds to the fact that it's the first one. And, uh, you know, the Gospel of John starts off, in the beginning, right, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word, right? And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John has this kind of huge cosmic opening, right, on John chapter 1. Matthew, what does Matthew do? He gives the generations, right, connecting Jesus to his lineage to the rulers of Israel before, right? And also other characters. Um, so we get the genealogy of Jesus and then the infancy narratives. Luke, boom, starts off with a very detailed narrative of Jesus' birth, all the things that led up to it. We get the infancy uh, narrative, but Mark isn't interested in any of them. Mark just jumps in immediately, 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 and... Uh, I think in the CEB, it's not immediately, it's uh, right away or something like that. That word in Greek is used 42 times in the book of Mark, where it's, it's only used 12 different times in all of the gospels, com other gospels combined, uh, which shows you that there's a pace. There's a frenetic pace to Mark. It's shorter, uh, for one thing. It it starts off with a bang with John the Baptist and then Jesus' baptism. He's... There's no baby Jesus stories, no nativity scenes. It's just baptism ministry. And then Jesus, and then Jesus, and then Jesus. Mark is focusing on the actions of Jesus, right? Whereas the other gospels may be focusing on theologically who Jesus is or the, even the teachings of Jesus, as Matthew emphasizes the teachings and words of Jesus. Here, Mark is like, you know, following Jesus' actions, the ministry of Jesus. Are you with me, church? And so we begin um, with a voice in the wilderness, in the desert, a voice crying out. It's John the Baptist. Make straight the paths. Someone is coming. Repent. Right? Be baptized to reflect, to show your change in your heart and your lives and your desire for God. And the multitudes were coming to Jesus or to John the Baptist in the desert. Right? Why would you travel out to the desert unless something was happening? A movement is happening. You're motivated and inspired. It's hard for me to even go hiking two miles up a, you know, a little incline without being, ah, I don't want to go. But they're trekking out, right, to this hermit man, right, who doesn't, right, John the Baptist isn't like, you know, an Oscar winner or, you know, a celebrity or someone who is representative of Lifestyles of the rich and the famous, right? You wouldn't, he wouldn't be opening his home to you in MTV Cribs like, look at the, all the neatly lined up juices in my refrigerator, right? All I have is drinks, right? Energy drinks. 
Right? That's not John the Baptist. It says John the Baptist was a wildling of a man. Right? He wrote, wore camel's fur and he ate locusts and honey out in the wilderness. I just admire, uh, imagine this like if I took out my ponytail and just had crazy hair and crazy eyes, who'd you be like, that's a religious fanatic saying, repent, make straight the path, repent, and ba- dunking people in the water. John the Baptist. And people are coming, the multitudes are coming out to him. Because what the scripture says, the scripture says that people's lives are being changed. Right? People are uh, repenting and turning back to God. Right? And baptism, baptism isn't something like the Christian church invented. All of a sudden, oh, because Jesus got baptized, we should baptize. Right? Baptism goes back um, through Judaism, right? In the Old Testament, even before. And it was a symbol of cleansing, right? A, a turning back to God. And so, so take away our kind of Christian kind of church kind of understanding of baptism and history and imagine that all these people who are Jews, who are, who are followers of Yahweh, are coming to the desert to return to God because they're thirsty. Going to the desert because they're thirsty. And going to the Jordan River, right? The Jordan River holds so much meaning, right, in their history. And they're coming because they're thirsty. Because there's something that they've lacked. And now that they've, they've changed. Something was lacking in the institutional religion. Something was lacking in the temple for them. Are you with me, church? But in the ministry of John, what John was saying, something was grabbing a hold of him. And what was grabbing a hold of him was that John was hearkening back, right? Calling back to their original story of the prophets, right? The prophets who had been silent for 400 years up to to this point. And they're imagining the prophesied Elijah or one who had the spirit like Elijah coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. They're, They're saying, it is, can it be true? Can the God of the universe, our God who we heard stories of, we've read since we were children, is alive and real and this promised Messiah that we've been waiting for, waiting for? Could it be true that there's life and water in the desert, that there's renewal? Can it be true? Are you with me, church? That's my amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Where am I? Um, So in Hollywood, if you watch the Oscars or other circles of wealth, what do they do? They roll out the red carpet for dignitaries, dignitaries or celebrities or very important people um, who are coming to an event wearing all of their outfits that were designed by famous designers, 
um, to the delight of all the fashion critics, oh, he's wearing penguin, original penguin. <laughs> Bought from Nordstrom Rack for a mere 1999. Um, so they roll out, you know, usually we roll out the red carpet. Um, but what does Jesus get? Right? Jesus gets John the Baptist with his matted camel fur and sun-baked almond skin declaring real change, calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. And this is the full, robust, and dynamic uh, dynamic of repentance, right? Of repentance and forgiveness. Oftentimes we become overly focused on the wrong behaviors in us or other people. Repent! Repent, we've been told. Repent! Repent! We've t- said to others or thought, or thought of others, you should repent. You should repent. But I don't think this is what we're reading about here in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, because I see a movement of changed lives happening. I just, if you just picture people coming out to the wilderness to be baptized and to, to repent and listening to this prophet in the wilderness, I, I think something real and dynamic is happening. I think um, it's revival. It's a big tent revival that's happening. Because um, why else would people come out, right? Why else would people come out? To, I forgot this part, so I got to go back. Why else would people come out to the wilderness, right? Where there's no McDonald's or no Starbucks or they're out of cell phone range. I don't like being out of cell phone range. Like anything can happen. You're out of cell phone range. I'm not going camping where there's no cell phone range, right? So something is happening. The longing, the thirsting, come, Jesus, come. And the dam is about to break, right? It's starting like a little drip, drip, drip. If you imagine a dam and a trickle and then a spray, right? The pressure is mounting. The one is coming. Just imagine some epic on Disney Plus. We're waiting for the prophesied one. The one is coming. Who is the one? Right? And then Jesus comes. Boom. Enter Jesus. Enter Jesus. And John ends up baptizing Jesus in the Jordan. And the scene that's set up by Mark is that the heavens open up. As Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens open up. The skies rip apart. And we're reminded of, right, Jesus' crucifixion when the, the veil of the temple is torn, right? Boom! And 
In fact, right, the dead raise up from their graves and walk around and go back to their homes and people, ah, right? The Shekinah glory of God is breaking through the curtain, breaking through the structures. The dam is opening up and the water of life is going, right? That's, the, that's what I see with the heavens being rend open and the Holy Spirit like a dove descending down upon Jesus and then a voice from the heavens saying, my son, right? And as a side note, a side theological note, it's an amazing picture of the Trinity right <laughs> right? The Spirit, Jesus Christ, God in heaven, all in one, at one point being revealed, right, before the people. It's not just what's happening, right? People are witnessing this right before their eyes. Man, that, that's a life-changing event, don't you think? And it says, at once, after this, at once, Jesus is driven to the wilderness with the wild animals and te- is tempted by Satan. Lest you bask in the glow of your glory and magnificence and of God saying, I'm very proud of you. Immediately, you're going on a 40-day fast in the wilderness to be tempted and to live among the wild animals and suffer, right? This is like one of the hardest survival, like any reality show, like times 10, right? The 40-day 40, 40 temptation in the desert and fast of Jesus Christ. He's immediately sent into that place of vulnerability, of hunger, of suffering, of hot sweatiness with no AC, right? No blanket, no food, no drink. Uh, I mean, he must have had some sort of drink. Um, that's, that's, that's the next thing that immediately happens. And then he comes back, and it says that John the Baptist is arrested, right? And Jesus returns to Galilee and begins his public ministry. And it says, he begins his ministry in Galilee, proclaiming the good news, saying, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust in this good news. When is the last time that you legit, low-key, high-key experienced a changed heart and made a change in your life? When's the last time that you've experienced Right? You're a heart shift, a pivot, and actually like adjusted, like had a course correction in your life. Think about that. When is the last time? When's the last time because of what Jesus has done, because of the good news of Jesus in your life, have, have you experienced, right, renewal? Or let me ask this. 
For those of us uh, returning to the church again, maybe after COVID or maybe after burnout and hiatus, maybe after kind of disillusionment with the church. I know in college, uh, I think I went to church maybe a few times my whole four years in undergrad. Of course, I was part of a campus ministry. That was enough for me, right? No church. And of course, it was Walla Walla, so not like the churches appealed to me. But I always go off track. <laughs> but let's ask this. For those of us returning to the church again, giving this, this community thing another shot, whether we're coming from church hurt or burnout or faith cynicism, or maybe uh, we've been hurt by abuses of power or the ways authority has been mishandled. Um, but we're coming back maybe because we know we should eventually come back to church. And maybe you have young kids and you're like, I should probably come back to church for my young kids, right? We got, they should have, like, God. And we're coming back. Um, when is the last time you trusted the good news of Jesus Christ in your life? When is the last time uh, the hordes of people uh, leaving the church in our country have experienced the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. One of you is the last time that you believe that being a part of the community of faith would be exciting and adventuresome and life-changing and with full expectation of miracles happening and lives changing and people coming uh, to Christ in droves and wanting to become new members of faith, follow Jesus again. When did we come uh, into the community of faith expecting miracles to happen, expecting the good news of Jesus Christ? Amen? It's been a while. Like, purely like, and from an advertising perspective, Christians in North America are doing horribly for the church, right? Either we're like, I gotta go to church. Oh, church. Right? I need to do, uh, what do I need to do? My devotion, my QT, I haven't done it in a couple weeks. Or, oh, just the stories after stories of, man, the church has been abusive. Oh, man, the church is, you know, tied to politics too much. The church is this or the church is that. The church are judging too judgmental. <laughs> it's not selling, right? The church as we, uh, many of us know it, it's not, it doesn't fly anymore. It's not selling. It's not, whatever the people in the wilderness are experiencing as they come to John the Baptist, a lot of us have not been a part of that. 
good news. And I'm saying, come back to your first love. You're neither hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. So I'm going to spit you off. But come back to your first love. Church, come back. The dam is breaking. Do you want to be a part of living water flowing in the desert for all to drink and be refreshed? Amen? But first, we need to experience this. We can't tell people the good news if we don't experience the good news. Amen? You can't fake the funk. Oh, you not. 80s people, you can't fake the funk on a nasty dunk, right? You can't fake the funk, and I'm tired of faking it. I'm tired of conjuring up or like energizing myself to like be a used sales car salesman. Jesus Christ saved my life, right? No. Drink the water. We're thirsty. You're thirsty? Drink. You're hungry? Eat. And make Jesus Lord of your life. Make scripture authoritative in your life. Make God authoritative mean something to you. Like you have a big decision to make. You're confronted at the crossroads and you don't know where to go? Hey, what does it mean to actually ask? Which way do I go? And to, sometimes that means I'm doing this crazy thing I never thought I would do. Oh my gosh. Right? Frog and toads, awesome adventure now. Right? Woohoo! I want that. I'll have what she's having. Can we open up again? I know there's been a lot of pain. And I know there's been a lot of letting go. And I know there's been a lot of betrayal and maybe uh, a power outage in our lives. But can you open up again? Can we lean in and give our lives? Can we trust the good news once more? Let's pray. God, thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ that's more than letters on a page, but the living Jesus, the Holy Spirit moving among us, changing hearts and lives, and we want to be part of that with you. Open our hearts. Revive us and renew us. Lead us, Jesus, through the wilderness. In Jesus' name, amen.